The number one question we get from listeners is, do we have a written step-by-step roadmap to guide you on how to train your dog? We don't, but Standing Stone Supply does. They're the creators of the complete step-by-step dog training program that takes your dog from brand new puppy and gets it well on its way to that finished dog you've always dreamed of. They've mapped out the timelines to help guide you, the videos for every step of the way to show you, and even have the needed gear made into shopping lists to make it easy to supply you. Check out the course at StandingStoneSupply.com to gain unlimited access for all current as well as future lessons and be sure to use the code GDIY to save 10% at sign up. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY20 at checkout to save 20%. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. GDIY profiles are bonus episodes that tell the stories of how your everyday handler got into the gun dog world. You'll hear plenty of examples of what to do as well as what not to do and how they learn from those experiences. These episodes are being put out to tell the honest stories that we as do-it-yourself dog handlers can all relate to. If you think you would be a good fit for a profile episode, please go to gundogityourself.com and complete the contact form and we may get back to you so that you can share your story. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the GDIY Profile. This week we have Logan Weiss online. Logan, did I say your last name right? Yes, you did, yeah. Perfect. Well, thanks for joining me. Uh, You came recommended from a mutual friend, Pete Aplikowski, who's been on the podcast a few times uh, here recently talking about the Ames and Rules Clinic, but more so uh, the UPT class that he held, and you have a very personal experience with that class as you were in it. But before we kind of go down that, I need to know a little bit more about you. Let's start off with the obvious. Let's tell everybody where you're calling from and what kind of dog you run. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, well, right now I'm actually calling from Massachusetts, which is where my parents live because I'm visiting them for just a week. I'm heading back to Minnesota tomorrow. Okay. Um, but I live in St. Paul, Minnesota. St. Paul. All right. And what kind of dog do you run? I have a two and a half year old German wire hair, and then I've got a just over three month old small monster lander. All right. So that's a big change right there. Tell me first, what got you the German wire hair? And then tell me why the change to the Munstie. Sure. Um, well, we like growing up, we always had sort of dogs with beards. They weren't hunting dogs, but they're always sort of bearded dogs. And so that was sort of, I guess, like visually my comfort zone. And I know you're not supposed to pick dogs on visuals, <laughs> but like thinking about what I wanted and then doing some research, it felt like a German wire hair really sort of met my criteria. Um, and I love her. Uh, I could see myself going back to German wire hairs. Like, and even the small monsterlander, this is an experiment, right? Where it's like, I, w- I was telling my girlfriend recently, like this small monsterlander, excuse me, this small monsterlander might be my first small monsterlander, or he might be my last small monsterlander. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, it's, it, maybe that puts too much pressure on him, but he, he, he can't tell. Um, but, uh, 
yeah, my, my wire hair is awesome. She's, she's got a lot of drive. Um, and as a first time handler that there were some, some moments where that was fantastic. And some moments where that was a big challenge. Was the beard really the, the deciding factor in your first one? Like, I mean, was there anything else that came into play in the decision? No, there were a lot of other criteria. So, I mean, it but that was just sort of like an added kicker. Yeah. Um, but we wanted it. We wanted a really active dog. Um, we wanted a dog we could, could hike with, we could ski with, run with, um, hunt with. And so, um, I do all those things with her. Um, she is like, I think is a dog who's maybe a little bit missing that off switch. And so looking for a dog that was just maybe a, just a little bit of a titch down in the house. Um, but, uh, I, I didn't want to stray too far away. And I feel like those, like, I'm excited to stay within that sort of like German lineage of dogs and dogs who have a little bit of a, an, an interest in getting out there and, and that yeah. prey drive being there. So, um, that was something I, that was area I wanted to stay in. Yeah, I, I understand that. So where did you, where did the wire hair come out of? And then what kennel did your uh, Munstie come out of? The wire hair is from uh, Raven Road Kennels in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Um, he's a guy, he's got, he owns both uh, the sire and the dam. And he just has puppies every once in a while. And he just hunts his dogs. He doesn't test them at all. Um, and they turned out to be pretty good dogs so far. Um, but that was like, I wasn't going down a testing path right away when I got her. Um, and then the, uh, Munstie is from, uh, autumn, autumn wings kennel in, uh, Edgar, Wisconsin. So that's Brian and Jill Werner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard of autumn wing. I haven't heard of the Ravenwood, but like you said, it's a smaller, uh, smaller kennel. It sounds like, so you said, it sounds like you were prioritizing the hunting. You just said that you weren't really planning on testing or you weren't a member of the organization. It sounds like you're just really active outdoors. So where, where did NAVDA come into play on this? Because did, did you do like everybody else, you get your first dog and pretty much go now what? Yeah, I think, I think it's mostly that. And I mean, I, maybe I stuck a little bit with that mindset longer than I should have. So we spent her first hunting season with pretty limited training besides like I got some help with like bird and gun intro and then we tried to go hunting and I don't think I I think I maybe screwed it up a little bit by um maybe just like shooting some birds I shouldn't have shot for her and so just getting a little bit more steadiness in her like that second that that summer after that spring and summer after that first hunting season that was when I I joined an Avda chapter and was realizing, Hey, I need a little bit more both training for her, but also training for me and just direction in terms of where to go. Yeah. And I'm assuming in Minnesota, your primary target is, uh, grouse and woodcock, but I do know that there are sharp tails and even pheasant up there. So what's your primary targets up there? Uh, in terms of days hunting, uh, we, we definitely hunted grouse and woodcock the most. Um, but I was able to finagle with my work these last couple of years, uh, some sort of flexible hours and I was working remotely. So I was able to travel and hunt. And so we hunted a bunch of States. We hunted grouse, woodcock, uh, pheasants, quail and sharp tail last year. So, so pretty much a little bit of everything, right? Yeah. 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 So, and I mean, like I said, like 
the vast majority of that time is grouse and woodcock. What's your What's your favorite out of all those? I mean, I, I know grouse and woodcock are your backyard, but let's take availability out of the equation. Let's just say it's sheer enjoyment, the environment, the way the dogs hunt. What's your favorite out of those that you just listed? I think probably sharp tail. And it's like, it's equal parts. Like, I mean, you sort of get a little bit of a, like, it's not a, I think it's not officially a covey rise, but you get that sort of like group bird. Yeah. Um, and then at the same time, just like the landscape of it is awesome. I love that. Like you can park your truck and you can like, besides maybe going back for lunch and refilling water, like you can hunt all day. And so like those bigger expanses of cover, um, that's pretty awesome. So I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a sucker for that. Yeah. The sharp tail hunting, it's, it's something different, especially people that are coming out of the grouse woods for the first time. It's a completely different ball game. Just obviously, you know, you're in the wide open as opposed to dense, uh, young forest, but, uh, sharp tails. I mean, have you had a chance to do huns at all yet? I haven't. We're actually, so we're going to Montana for at least a week, if not longer, uh, the start of September this year. And so that's on my bucket list. Um, I'm hoping to find some. And so, uh, yeah, but so far I've just, all my sharp tail hunting has been in the Dakotas and I haven't been in areas that actually have hunts gotcha. so far as well. Gotcha. All right. So let's circle back. You got your first dog, you got your German wire hair, you got through the first hunting season and then you realize, okay, uh, I, I need a little bit of help or a little bit of guidance is probably the right word for it. Uh, and in comes NAVDA. So kind of talk to me about the learning curve of first off realizing you needed a little bit of guidance and what you found when you first kind of took that step into, into the new NAVDA realm and asked for the guidance. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think as you've talked about before with other like Minnesota NAVDA chapter members, like our chapter is massive. I think there's, I don't even know exactly how many folks are in it, but I think it's like over 300. I don't know how many are actually active, but there's a ton. Um, and so one of the ways that they, have trained, have changed things. Um, and they did this before I arrived in the chapter, but I think it was a somewhat recent, recent change is they have, they have a few groups that are targeted on sort of different training goals. So that first summer that I was in that group, I was in a, like a, a weekly group that meant that had everyone who was sort of gearing up for an NA test. And my dog was actually just a little bit too old for it, but that was sort of skills wise, what she needed. Um, so we were in that puppy group. We met every Thursday Um, and then out of that, like you just like meet guys, you start doing extra training, like all that on top of it. Um, and it just snowballed from there. So you pretty much, you enter in one small group, like you said, based on where your dog was at, not, not the age of the dog or so to speak, but where the dog was at. And you just kind of developed your own little subgroup, I guess you could say, and picked it up from there. And then is this where that UPT group kind of developed from your, your small group or did that, was that an outside thing? Well, that was, that was Pete's creation. So I think, um, Pete Apikowski, who's our, our chapter president, I think he was really working to, he's, he's a big proponent of the UPT test as a whole in terms of trying to give somebody like who's taken the taking their dog through natural ability who maybe isn't sure if utility is right for them. Who's thinking about like what's next. And I, I know he likes that test both as if you can get your dog through it, you've got a pretty serviceable hunting dog. And then also it's just a little bit of a lower ladder run, um, before you get to utility. Um, 
So he, he created this UPT group and posted about it on our chapter website. Um, but five of the seven guys who ended up taking that, that class from him were from that puppy group from the, the summer that I was in. So okay. um, there definitely was some continuity there as well. Yeah. And so what were your first thoughts when Pete came to you with this idea about the UPT group and like asking for, you know, are you going to be committed enough to follow through on this? What's kind of going through your head and all this? Because you, UPT even not, not even utility, that's, that's a big jump from natural ability. Uh, you know, it's kind of like natural ability is what it's called the natural ability of the dog or puppy or it should be UPT is kind of that, that next step of now I actually have to train the dog a little bit. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think for me, I'm somebody who like, I'm bad at doing my hobbies in sort of a half-assed way. Yeah. I've like, that's just always how I've been. And so, um, I, I was pretty committed to pushing and sort of seeing where we could go training wise. Um, and for me, it sort of felt like, my goals were always, were already like somewhat set and they weren't set on like, Hey, I need to run utility prep before Pete put the class out, but they were something like, Hey, we're going to hunt a lot this coming year. And then we're going to force fetch this dog. And then we're going to like go into the next training summer and sort of see what we have. And so when he posted about this group and the main focus of it, um, and we, we dabbled in everything, but really the main focus of it was a lot of time in the off season in the winter working on, retrieving and cleaning up retrieves. And, um, some people fully put their dog through force vets. Some people just did sort of more of a hold and carry program. I did, I did force vets with my dog all the way through. Um, but having that guidance both from Pete, and then also we had our own little Facebook group as all the, the people in that, the seven of us in the UPT class, um, and just being able to like text each other and be like, Hey, my dog's doing this. Have you encountered that? Like, what are you doing for that? Um, yeah. So, and, and there are tons of resources online too, but just getting that feedback of being able to be like, to talk it through with not only with Pete, but with these six other guys was super helpful yeah. and definitely like a little less intimidating. And, and I think, you know, when we start talking about small groups and breaking off into little subgroups and training groups and stuff like that, some people might get turned off a little bit to where it may sound a little too clickish almost. Uh, but this is a perfect example of what if you line yourself up with people that are in the similar similar places as you with similar goals and similar paths, breaking off into small groups can be the best thing that ever happened to you because if all you're doing is training with people that are, you know, three years ahead of you on, on the hardcore training deal, then you have this really big, far wide gap and you don't have people right there beside you going through the same exact troubles and issues that you are. Would you say that that's kind of a fair assessment or would you say that, you know, there is reason for people to kind of be a little concerned with it turning into a little clickish kind of style class? I guess I, I'm not concerned about the clickish thing. I, I, I think there is a benefit in being able to sort of see what's next. And so like, even in this puppy group, like we had volunteer leaders from the chapter who had all put dogs through utility, if not to the invitational, I think actually all of them had sent dogs to the invitational. And so, um, we had a lot of resources to lean on there. Like one of those guys in the puppy class was, uh, a nav to judge. Um, so I I think you get, that's one aspect of your question. And I, I think the other thing that I think of when you ask that is like, um, I don't know. I, maybe it's a Minnesota thing, but I think it's, I think it's more of a NAVDA thing, but people are so nice where it's like, I feel like clickish is like sort of exclusive. Whereas like 
like I, like we finished UPT and now we're running utility in August and I've already joined a utility group. And it was through some, some guy I met at the bird pens. I hadn't, he's in the chapter. I hadn't met him before, but he was like, you're training for utility. We're training for utility. Come out and join us. Here's my email. And I joined a group like, just like that. And so, and that feels pretty normal to how, like, at least how, all of my experiences in NAVDA have gone so far. Yeah. And, and it makes sense. I, I, I like that answer because it's just, it's not exclusive. It's just, again, finding like-minded people in the same areas that you're at. I mean, it's the same thing, whether you, if you if, say, say you go to the gym and you need a workout buddy, you know, you don't want the guy that's been working out like 10 years ahead of you all of a sudden smoking you in the gym. You want somebody that's kind of on your level that can help push each other and y'all have the same shared goals and, and pretty much reason why for doing that. Uh, but that is something to where not all NAVDA chapters have that. Uh, your chapter does, but I think it's something that I think all chapters, w- regardless if they're 350 members strong or 50 members strong or even 25, you're going to have people in the same training uh, area. So separating into small groups, it, it, it just makes a lot of sense to me. For sure. No, I totally agree. Talk to me about the force fetch. Your first dog, you're going through, you're getting through UPT. Was that your main, uh, so UPT, there, there's, go ahead and break down UPT because it's not the same thing as utility. You don't have the same level of steadiness requirements. Uh, so really like a, a lot of people doing UPT, it's the retrieving that, that is the biggest hurdle in UPT uh, because the steadiness requirement isn't exactly there. Right. Do you want, do you want me to walk you through like each of the test sections? Um, and I'm not an expert in any of them either, but, uh, just, uh tell, say, just say the steadiness requirement and why like that may not sure. be your priority, but retrieving was, and then we're going to yeah. get into your force fetch program. Cause I, w- I always love talking to people that goes through it for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, um, well, I was working with a dog that, uh, I wouldn't do this again in this way, but I, I got her all the way steady wing shot and fall prior to the hunting season. Okay. Um, so she was fully steady going into last hunting season. And then of course, like, I mean, we hunted a ton. I think I was trying to count days and I lost track, but it was like something in the eighties nice. where we were hunting. Um, and the steadiness came out. She was breaking on, on the shot. She would like occasionally self-release if a bird had run off that kind of thing later in the season. Um, but for UPT, the dog just needs to be steady through the shot. So if they, if they break on the shot, that's a four, um, or at least in that, that one sequence, I think would, would receive a four. That's my understanding. Okay. And so the steadiness, you didn't have to worry about that at all. Like you said that you already trained beyond what you really needed for UPT, but you you don't have to train that much steadiness for the UPT test, or at least the minimum requirement. So that kind of leads us to where we're headed force fetch. Like that's the big bugaboo here. Like that's the big thing that probably stressed you out. Like, man, this, this is a lot to consume. So walk me through just getting your mindset around force fetch. What was your main, you know, concerns going into it? Yeah. I think my main concern was sort of like, it's this moment of, of you got to put pressure on the dog. And it's not like I hadn't done that before with a pretty hard headed dog. Like I I love her to death, but she's, she can be pretty strong willed. And so like me using an e-collar and in it, like a humane and kind way as possible. Like we use that for recall. We use that for healing corrections, like all kinds of things that was already part of the experience. Um, but thinking about like 
either a toe hitch or an ear pinch or that kind of thing. Um, particularly about a dog who's got a little bit of that intensity in her that, that gave me some pause. Um, so that was sort of my, my initial confusion about horse fetch. And then, and then it just is like, it's more complicated. You know, it's like you learn so much about dog training through doing it. Um, and just sort of how to think about how dogs understand things and how you communicate with them. But, uh, it's, it's a more complicated thing than just sort of teaching them a sort of like single command. That's like, Hey, you're just going to execute this one piece right now. And we're going to go from the beginning to the end, like in two seconds. Yeah. And you just said that you learned so much about dog training just by going through the system. Uh, talk to me about that. Like, I mean, is there anything else that kind of compares to the lessons that you learned about your dog besides force fetch the first time through? I don't think anything is like necessarily like quite the same. I think like I taught steadiness. Um, I went to a steadiness clinic uh, before I ever taught steadiness. And so it was, it was taught by Kyle Huff, which is awesome. Um, And so that was, it was his method of steadiness that I used. And so that sort of has a similar like laddered approach of like, we're going to first work with, with bumpers, we're going to then work with top birds. Then we're like, there's all this work that's done before pointed birds. Yeah. Um, there was a, I think our, the NAVDA magazine from maybe one or two magazines ago. So maybe like the spring issue, I think, uh, it, he, he wrote an article where he basically just like, he has his whole recipe for the process there. Yeah. So if anyone's interested, I would recommend that, but, uh, yeah, Kyle, Kyle's steadiness program. It's, uh, you know, within NAVDA, it's pretty you know, well-known or, or at least well-regarded, uh, to go check it out because like you said, it's very structured. It's very, uh, regimented in the fact that every step goes to the next one. And, and once you kind of grasp your head around it, it makes a lot of sense. Just like force fetch does. Like once you kind of understand the program, it, it just, it kind of clicks and it, get, it goes pretty smooth. So did you decide ear pinch or toe hitch? I went ear pinch and honestly, I didn't, so this is the place where maybe I deviated from folks a little bit more than maybe some other people did, but I went ear pinch and ear pinch did not work that well. And I didn't really try the toe hitch. So we, I was going ear pinch and she was trying to fight me on it. Yeah. And it was like this super combative moment. And maybe we could have powered through it, but I had so much experience in the e-collar that we did ear pinch for a couple of sessions. And I started to go overlay ear pinch and e-collar. And that suddenly seemed to like Connect that really dots. clicked for her. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was something I think is my dog specific. Which e- everybody is going to have their dog specific stuff on the table, totally, right? Like totally. it, the the commonalities and generalities are all going to be there for everybody. But every dog is different. Every handler is different. Uh, but like something you just said is very important, especially in force fetch. Sometimes the way through a problem, like if there's a disconnect, is just going to the next step right? Sometimes the dogs are fighting you because they're bored, they're anticipating it or whatever. Sometimes it's going to the next level gets, gets them through it, right? It just kind of pushes it along instead of you just banging your head against the, the, the wall, just doing the same exact rep over and over and over again. Right. Right. Yeah. And I was, I was sort of dealt the hand of a dog who had a pretty good natural retrieve. And it was something that as a puppy, like she was awesome at, like she would like eight weeks old, she would go, you could toss something and she'd go pick it up and bring it right back to you. And then the first hunting season, she was retrieving birds 
not quite, I mean, it wasn't quite to hand, but it was like birds were coming back. Yeah. And so, and it, and honestly, like as she, we hunted her more, her retrieving sort of fell away a little bit where she would pick them up, but she, it wasn't like she wanted to keep it for herself. She would rather just be like, well, I'm going to pick this up, take it part way back and then be like, oh, but I could, I could go search more. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go search more and leave this bird. Um, so that sort sort of finishing the retrieve and that kind of thing that was, so it wasn't like I was starting from nothing. Yeah. Now that, that, that makes sense. Uh, so what are your plans this, this fall, man? You just, you, you did the UPT game. What are you working on now? Or are you really just eyeing that fall? Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like I got my hand in a, a lot of different cookie jars or pots right now. Um, so I've got this little Munsterlander puppy. He's, he's three months old. I'm trying to like sort of walk the line between helping him sort of get sort of giving him the space that he needs to be a puppy and develop. And then also like, Purposeful. I would love to, yeah, I, I'm like, we're taking a trip to Montana, um, mm. September 1st. And so I would love to be able to hunt him that trip. And so for me, that means like, I need to be able to shoot a shotgun around him and I need to be able to get him to come when he's called. There you go. And if he's not pointing beautifully, then so be it. Um, and he's already like, he's pointed some birds. He does. It's not like he holds point for that long, but, yeah. um, I've, I've fired a starter pistol around him and he doesn't care. So we're on that path. It's just like, are we going to get there? So yeah. that's one, one thing we're working on. Um, Sage, my wire hair, we're running utility, uh, at the end of August. Oh, okay. So you have another test this year. Yeah, we have another test. So we're gearing up. We utility prep went really well for us. Um, and so it's, we're, we're, it's just like a little bit, it felt like, uh, I almost, I almost ran utility instead of utility prep. Um, that was something I was, I was considering sort of switching. Um, but I'm glad I stuck with utility prep. Um, just as like a first time handler, that was my first test. And I didn't, I, I felt like I was like, I'm not going to be nervous. This would be fine. I've done all these training days. Like, you know, I, I've, I've spent so much time training that it felt like it was, I thought I was going to be just able to handle it. And it was definitely like that first field run, there was a little bit of nerves. Yeah. It, what, walk me through it. I mean, did the judges, I mean, at what point did you become comfortable? Did the judge come up and give you the spiel? And once y'all kind of got the first bird in you, it was back to normal or did it take a little bit longer than that? It took a little bit longer than that. And so, I mean, we talked about steadiness earlier, but with, I think both a ton of hunting, like I said, I mean, we hunted just like I was, I was all over the country just trying to hunt as much as I could this last fall. Um, a ton of hunting and then force vets, our steadiness definitely fell away a little bit. And so going into the UPT test in my head, like I knew the, I knew the field was first and that was the place where I was like, this is what's going to determine whether I'm going to get a prize one or not. Um, cause I was pretty confident in everywhere else. And I mean, you never know how things are going to go. Um, yeah. but, uh, I was, I was, I was, I think particularly a little bit nervous because of that. And then also like, it's harder to judge what's going on when there's all of these people moving around you. There are all these gunners you're trying to direct You're trying, you have to swing on the bird as part of it. Um, even though you're not firing a shot. Um, and then like being able to tell, like, was my dog like steady until the shot? Did she break before the shot? Like, 
that's all the steadiness they need. They just need to be steady to shot. And so that's like a, that's a really small amount of time. Yeah. And so it wasn't, I felt like I wasn't sure coming out of the field. Like we, we didn't like, we didn't totally screw the pooch, but I also was like, I don't know how this went. Maybe we got a prize one. Maybe we didn't. And so I sort of carried that with me the rest of the day. <laughs> well, and that's, that is a product of the testing, right? They can't give you the scores on one piece uh, after each event. And that, I think the first timers that come out there and they test for the first time, they, they don't know how to deal with the waiting all day deal. And they don't really understand it until you explain it. It's like, no, there's some, there's some tasks and qualities throughout the day that you can't, you can't score after each event. It's, it's an all day score. Right. And once you explain it to them, it makes a little more sense, but it still doesn't, doesn't help the person like you the first time. Like, man, all right, just sitting at the tailgate. Right. Like, Come on. I want to know. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I knew I wasn't getting a score there too, but I mean, also in the field too, just thinking about like, you get a series of sequences. I feel like, like, unlike any of the other events of the UPT test, um, or the utility test for that matter, like you get like a series of bird contacts and they're sort of their own little moment. Um, and so thinking about like, Hey, for this first one, am I gonna like, maybe, get knocked down a little bit, but will my dog and use that to sort of set a, set a tone for the relationship that we're going to have in this field session, or am I going to trust her to be steady all the way through? Yeah. Um, and so for those first, the first couple of birds we found, I was like, I'm not going to woe her. And that third bird that we found, I woed her. And so I, it's hard to say like what would have happened differently, but, um, just thinking about like, sort of like how you manage your field time. Like there's, there's definitely some gamesmanship to that and oh, yeah. experience needed. Yeah. The pace. So let me, let me ask you with you a month away from your utility test. Are you, are you still primarily focused on steadiness thinking that that's going to make or break you or is it the step up into the duck search? How's your duck search coming along? Uh, duck search, honestly, like we were sort of dealt an awesome hand when it came to duck okay. search. Like she, her first duck search, like we, we've been doing force fetch all winter. I finished force fetch. We get down. This was like, I, these are like moments where like, I don't know, like I probably could have like shed a tear watching this happen this first time where it's like, we walk down to the pond, like everyone's, everyone in this group is sending their dog for their first duck search. And I walk down there, I fire a shot and I send her and she just tears up the pond. Like she's out there for like. I don't know, maybe like 14, 15 minutes and then retrieves the duck to hand. Yeah. And it's just always been like that where she like, it's a combination I think of like just natural drive and like gunfire is really exciting for her. Um, and then just getting through that retrieving. And so, um, that, that luckily hasn't been a big issue. And, and some of the other guys who were in that UPT group, like they worked on that so hard and how far they got their dogs was incredible where there were some guys who their dog, like getting them to expand, getting them to go out there, getting them to be a little more independent. And then me with my wire hair, who maybe doesn't love me quite as much. She's comfortable <laughs> getting out there and exploring and getting away from me. So. Nah, it's, it's one of those things. You just made a lot of people jealous in that regard because duck search, it's uh you know, if, if you have a really natural one, it's, it's so easy. I've seen it to where, you know, dog first time you just send them and it's just like, all right, well, we don't have to do that again for <laughs> until like right before the test. Uh, but right. some people just pull their hair out and it's like, that's all they work on all summer long because it's, it's difficult right. for a lot of dogs to independently expand like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, going into utility, it's still working on steadiness and we've been doing a lot of 
sort of following that same sort of Kyle Huff steadiness method. Like we've been doing a lot of steadiness work on uh, birds that aren't pointed. And so um, like where I'd lower and I'd have birds and launchers. And so, I mean, she's, she's like smart enough now. It's, it's so frustrating where like pigeons and launchers, she's totally steady on. And, and a couple weeks ago, we're at this point where like she was steady on pigeons and launchers and not chuckering launchers. And so trying to like parse between that and be like, like I would have her point chucker and get the scent of chucker and then toss pigeons and toss a bunch of pigeons and then, and shoot multiple birds and give her multiple retrieves and be like, just try and just get through to her as any way I could of like, Hey, if you sit there, good things are going to happen for me. <laughs> These dogs figure it out. They know when you're in a training field and when they're not. And it, they know, totally. I mean, it's, you know, the people that say that these dogs don't figure it out. I'm like, eh, you either have some of the dumbest dogs or I, I don't know. Cause I've seen some dogs. I mean, they just figure it out after like one session. I mean, you start laying right. too many pigeons or birds on the dogs in the field and all of a sudden they start catting around and they don't want to expand and that they know what the game's up to. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's still steadiness. It's just that little bit. I mean, steadiness, the two places that we got dinged on our UPT scorecard, um, we're steadiness and obedience. So those, we got threes in those areas, um, and everything else were fours for us. So, um, yeah, so it's, I mean, obedience will come. It's just like, just as we work on stuff and I'm not, if we get a three in obedience, then so be it. But I mean, that's, it's a jump from that UPT to utility, um, steadiness as I'm sure, you know, and so, um, working on that and then that, uh, steadiness by the blind, Mm. and that uh that blind retrieve uh, sorry it's not the blind retrieve what am i trying to say it, here it, it's just a marked retrieve it's just the a marked retrieve yeah. exactly yeah yeah the marked retrieve um the change there like we've only worked on it a few times but the first time i did it and i fired those distraction shots um she moved a little bit and so just going through that a few more times and and understanding that like hey whoa whoa still means whoa even if i'm over the hill firing some distraction shots so well, it's 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 funny the steadiness by the blind it's like it's so often overlooked to where it's people who are just kind of like oh I'll, I'll do that like the last week or two and you know there's a lot to be said for it it's like you work steadiness you do you you work re- force fetch and retrieving and duck search and all that if you do the foundation right like that that's fairly easy but I'll tell you, that's what got me and my dog, Rachel, the first time I went through utility was she launched and then she ended up coming back to me, which she never does. That's the word that we, us dog handlers always use, never, right? She never does it. She yeah. shot out there. All of a sudden, she's back in my feet. And I'd have to go back and look at her scores, but I'm pretty sure that's what kept her from a prize one, if I remember correctly. Uh but it's just like that right there. Like you said, anything on test day will happen. She's never done that, never done it since. But the on test day, I sent her, she launched, and the next thing you know, I'm handing the shotgun off back to the judge, and I look down, and there's a dog back in my feet, and I had to resend her. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's hard. That's hard. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and it's 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 all these, like, interesting little nuances, too, where it's like, like she won't break on the shot if I'm within – if I'm standing by the blind with her. And so I – like even for utility prep where I, I'm pretty sure that's like, they could break on the shot and that's fine. They're allowed to do that. Um, I think I could be wrong there. Don't, don't quote me on that. Um, but like for things like, like those moments where I'm firing a shot for duck search, where I'm firing a shot right next to her in the blind, she's fine. And then it's that moment when I walk away. So that was a little surprise, but 
I'm, I'm not too concerned about that. I think it's mostly like, Hey, can we get you all the way steady? Are you going to be steady wing shot and fall? Yeah, I got you. So, um, you'll have to let us know how the test goes because I'm, I'm interested now, especially doing UPT just a month or two ago. And now you're doing, doing UT. That's, that's a pretty quick turnaround, but that's kind of what it's designed to do, right? Like you're kind of the epitome of first time test handler needed a step in the right direction that now you're going the full step. So I'm kind of interested to see how this goes and it'll be a testament to the small group that we've already discussed. Uh, but before, before we wrap this up and let you go, I got to ask, you know, you being still relatively new to training your dog, I need your story of one of your favorite screw ups, learning and figuring out how to, how to train these dogs. And then I also need to hear, uh, some of your favorite episodes or topics or guests that have kind of helped you along the way. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of a story, I think it, it all sort of goes back to, and maybe this is why I, I push so hard on steadiness too early is because I had this dog that I, I shot some birds for that I probably shouldn't have shot. And so, um, one of the guys in one of the leaders of our puppy group gave me this advice, which I, I, I wish I'd heard earlier. And I think is just like, I don't know. I, I mean, some people hunt and they're just like, I'm going to shoot anything that flies. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like I've heard you talk about that. Like, don't have to fault those people. Like if that's what they want to do, like that's fair and legal. And so be yeah. it. Right. But if you're going to put all this time into training your dog, like you might as well, maybe at least uphold some of the standards that right. you're, you're training for. <laughs> why and that's it, my opinion. Why do it all year just to let it go by the wayside as soon as you actually put it to use. Right. And, and I think like many of the people you've talked to, like you, like, like, like when I, when I hunt, like if she's going to break on the shot, which happened this, this past fall, like I wasn't. I wasn't dinging her. I wasn't yelling at her. I wasn't hitting her with the e-collar or any of that. Like I knew that was going to happen. That's fine. Um, but I wasn't shooting anything that she bumped. Um, and so the advice that this guy gave me, which was so helpful, which I wish I'd heard earlier was he said, and this is what I started doing for second hunting season was he said, like, walk around with your two shells in your hand. Okay. If you, if you can get up there to the point and load your gun on the way, and close up your action and get up there and shoot the bird. Great. And if you don't have time to load your gun, then you then, don't get to shoot. Like you don't get to shoot. It's like this little added, like sort of hiccup in terms of your ability to have a shot. And it keeps you in control and not making that emotional decision of like, Hey, that's the only quail that I saw in two hours. Like yeah. I'm going to shoot at that quail, you know, yep. where it's like, like those moments sort of get taken away from you by being a little bit more responsible. So that's a good, that's a good point. I, I like that. Cause I haven't gone to that extreme. I've always kind of had the self-discipline to, to do it or not do it, but why not? You know, it's like, if you're going to do it, just take, just take the shells. And yeah, I, I like that idea. I might have to start doing that this year. Right. And I didn't do it the whole season, but I did a couple of weeks of that where I was like, Hey, my dog's bumping birds and I'm feeling frustrated. And how do I get through this? And, um, that sort of first disciplined hunting season, we got so far by just sticking to it and being like, like there were so many moments where I came home and be like, we found birds. I didn't shoot anything. Like I was so frustrated. Um, and it was just like, I'm going to go back tomorrow. I'm going to go back tomorrow and see what happens. And it was like, and that first pointed bird, when you actually connect with something like the satisfaction of that is like, it's worth the wait for sure. Um, in terms of episodes, I mean, I, I loved your long force fed series. Um, it was, it was great. It was, it was so 
pertinent and, and helpful to me. It was like, you were coming out with episodes pretty much as I was going through force fest and you, you were like a little bit ahead of me. And so it was helpful to have that. Um, and that was something where like, I listen to podcasts all the time as I drive. And so being able to just rewind and reference things and being like, Oh, I heard this thing here. Um, like that, that series is awesome. And I recommend that to anybody who's trying to force fetch their dog. Um, I've, I've loved having so many different, um, like sort of resources and perspectives on force fetch. Cause, cause like we said earlier, like everyone has their own little wrinkle or how they do it differently and sort of me, it, it felt sort of freeing for me to learn that where at first I was like, I have to follow this exact plan and to learn <laughs> that people do it differently. And that like, I wasn't screwing up if the plant, the, the first plan I heard wasn't working for my dog. Like yeah. that was so helpful. Um, but everything like all the way through there, like, I think the thing that, I mean, it was the last piece of it, but thinking about finishing the retrieve, like that's something that's huge, particularly like as you're, you're really trying to, to get high scores on utility, utility prep. It's like, it's not just, is the, is the, is the bird getting picked up, but is it making it all the way to you? And how do you want that finish to happen? Like, where do you want the dog to end up swing it to heel, sit at your feet, all those things. Like, like that was, that was a helpful conversation for sure. Yeah. Well, I definitely appreciate that. I'm glad that you, you got the main lesson that I was doing with the force fetch was like, while everybody is so similar, everybody's different. Right. And it's just like step-by-step, step, most of them have more things in common than they have differences, but it's just like, to your point, so many people are just afraid to, to kind of make it their own thing. And that's, you know, you can say till you're blue in the face, focus on the why instead of the how. Uh, but until like, you know, they hear seven different versions of it week after week after week, it finally kind of clicked for, with a lot of people. Cause I got a lot of feedback, like, thank you. It made me feel so much better about kind of deviating from the path I was on, uh, and going with another helper to where maybe their first routine or process really wasn't clicking for them. Yeah, totally. I, I think that like sticking with the why, like that, that makes so much sense. I mean, and, and I feel like that should like hopefully make people feel like they can do it themselves and like they shouldn't be afraid to try. Yeah. And as long as you have a plan and a reason for why you're doing what you're doing and you think it makes sense based on what you did previously, like it's hard to go wrong. It's, it's like, you got to think analytically about it. And once you do that, like it should just be like, Hey, how do we level up from where we were last time? Yeah for sure. Well, Logan, man, I definitely appreciate this. Uh, for the people listening to this, they may not know, but you're actually the guinea pig. We're going to start doing these profile episodes as video recorded episodes that are going to be up on our Patreon. So I'm about to shut the audio recording down, but I need to go see your puppy. So you need to go get your puppy and then bring it on the video recording. And then if anybody wants to listen to it or see it, come check out our Patreon link. Man, I'll be right back. All right. Listeners, I appreciate you checking in. Please hit that subscribe button, share this with a friend, find other people that uh, are interested in it, and uh, we'll check back next month with another profile episode. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to GDIY. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to take a moment to subscribe, rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. 
Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukonuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.